Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Victoria Bertine. And I'm your host, Keith Ree Cleveland. Alright folks, to kick off this week's episode, the almost unthinkable may really be happening. The Hollywood Reporter broke a story that Warner Brothers is in negotiations to have none other than Michael Keaton reprise his role as Batman in the upcoming Flash movie. A source told THR that Keaton will return as Bruce Wayne and operate similarly to how Nick Fury does in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as kind of a guide and overseer and maybe even the guy who pulls all the strings. Now, you may be wondering how this makes a lick of sense after Ben Affleck was already introduced as the Batman DCEU up to this point. Well, that's the fun thing about comic book movies. There's more time travel than all the dimensions you can count, so it could work if they do it the right way. So the DCEU clearly needs something, and my personal theory is a long-term plan is what they need just to make things work effectively, and this could be part of that with them actually thinking far ahead in advance. So hopefully Keaton getting back in the cow is what they need to get on that path. Victoria, what do you think about this news? So I am excited and I have to I have to like break this down a little bit because right now my excitement is it's not going to be Ben Affleck, which is kind of mean. But I say that because I was not a Batman kid growing up. Like, my only Batman was the Batman animated series that came on, like, right at the same time as the X-Men animated series, like, after school. And I wasn't really technically allowed to watch any of them. So, that was, like, my only Batman experience. So, I actually haven't seen Keaton's Batman, but I love Tim Burton. And my husband has, like looked at me in shock and apparently that's what we're doing this afternoon Um, but I love Michael Keaton in general and I think that the role also sounds fun like if it's going to be Batman in the kind of Nick Fury like exasperated babysitter role I think that that's a great role to begin with and something that Keaton would be absolutely amazing as so I'm excited all around and I agree that what the DCU really needs is a long-term plan. <laughs> Clearly, because they are already trying to dig themselves out of a hole here. But like you, I'm really excited about this. I know I've said every episode about something, but really, I am about this because for multiple reasons. One, in my mind, this gets us that much closer to Batman Beyond because all you need for that to work is like an old Bruce Wayne and like some young person, whether it be Terry McGinnis or if a Batgirl goes instead, which is something I'm hearing on the Twitter webs and everything. I love that possibility. Please give me that movie at some point in time. I need that. Um, secondly, this is hilarious to me and surprising because I feel like Keaton has spent like decades trying to distance himself from Batman for years. Like, wasn't that the entire plot of Birdman or whatever that really long title of that movie actually is? And like, but I'm glad to see this happening because he is very good and he's still a big name in that space and everything. And maybe just dipping back into their old success is what DC needs to make this current thing work out well. Because Keaton did amazing in well, multiple things. Most recently, his role as Vulture was great. And I just want to see him do more of that stuff. That would be really cool. So, for my first one, um, I've got a movie as well, but it is a Netflix movie. And we've talked amongst the three of us about Netflix doing more 
more representation in a lot of different ways. Um, so some of that is that they are bringing in shows from around the world. And sometimes it's just them greenlighting projects that wouldn't traditionally be greenlit. And so Over the Moon, I feel like, fits this category. And what it is, is it is an animated movie about a young girl who is kind of obsessed with this folktale. And she is a young Asian girl, and her mother has told her this folktale about the moon goddess and how it's a love story, and of course the lovers get split, and now the moon goddess waits in the moon for her true love. And this story is, it means everything to this little girl. And then when her mother passes, it means even more, because she connects, of course, her mother with the moon goddess. And from what it looks like, the entire storyline is going to be about her trying to prove that this is real because she gets to the point, you know, you always get to that age where people are like, all right, stop believing in fairy tales. And she's like, no, this is real. And I need people to believe this. Like, I'm going to prove this. Also, can I just say how amazing it is that in this story, how she goes about proving it is basically learning astrophysics at like 11 and she's like no I'm gonna make a rocket but not like Wallace and Gromit make a rocket she actually studies up and makes a rocket to go and prove that the moon goddess is real and so I just think that this is a lot of great representation in a lot of really different ways I think it's great representation um for a different culture that we're not used to seeing I think it's great representation for uh little girls but also like anyone who's interested in STEM and and things like that like I think it's just a really great culmination of things and it's got a lot of really great people behind it so first and foremost uh filmmaker and animator Glenn Keane who is behind well I shouldn't say behind but who worked as an animator for Disney on Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, Tarzan, Tangled, tons of different things and if you're worried because some of those films are problematic I agree but I'm gonna drop some other names that I I, I know they at least pulled my f- fears a little bit. So it's being produced by Jenny Rim and Palin Cho, but it's also starring an entire cast of voice actors who are of color, and I'm so excited. So just to drop a few names that, like, some of them we know a lot, some of them we know a little, uh, Kathy Ang, Philippa Sue, Robert G. Chu, Ken Jeong, John Cho, Ruthie Ann Miles, Margaret Cho, Kimiko Glenn, Art Butler, and Sandra Oh. Like, that cast is amazing, and I'm super excited, and it's, it's one of those Netflix releases that's just like, it'll be out this year. So sometime in 2020, we should get it, but how do you feel about that, Keith? Well, first of all, just saying 2020 is fine because this whole year is a blur anyway. So as far as I'm concerned, it comes out tomorrow. But this is wonderful. Like, you were just going off the names of people in this, and my jaw just kept drawing. Like, I love them, I love them, I love them, I love them. This, from what I'm seeing, what you told me, 
has everything that it needs to be amazing and impactful. One of those things that if you're not aware of it, just pops up on Twitter, on Netflix one day, and all of a sudden everyone's talking about it for like three weeks because it's one of those amazing things that came out of nowhere, right? So for our listeners, here's your heads up. You get to be in the know before that happens and keep your eyes open for Over the Moon because this sounds like it's going to be incredible and I cannot wait for it to come out. Absolutely. And with that, let's take a short break. talk about Netflix shows a lot here at Black Nerd Problems. As much as we try, though, there's always a delay between our thoughts and what's on the screen. Wiretap has a solution for that. Wiretap is an extension that you can put on so that when you're watching Netflix, you'll be watching a movie or a show, and as you're watching, comments from other people will pop up. It's kind of like watching television with your friends, but they don't actually have to like be in the same place or time with you. It's a better version of live tweeting because you're not flipping between screens. Instead of going on Twitter to talk about what you've seen, you're staying on Netflix and you're talking about what you're seeing in real time on Netflix and other people will see those comments as well. You can start a community that way. I could see Nicole talking about uh, what she likes on Sabrina the Teenage Witch or what she doesn't like about Sabrina the Teenage Witch and I can like or not, can you dislike? I'm not sure. Well, it's Nicole, so I'm going to like what she says anyway because that's Nicole and she's never wrong. I follow Omar, so I see all of his comments, and like I follow a bunch of the other people from BNP, so I follow like Mikkel and Brittany and a bunch of our writers. So when I'm watching a show, their comments will pop up. It's not flooded though. Uh, when the comments pop up, it isn't like 16 at a time. It's who you want to see, and not many random people, unless those comments have been liked a lot. So some you might enjoy. It's kind of tailored to you, but there is an algorithm to it that doesn't uh, make it feel like you're being bombarded or flooded, like on another app that we might not mention here, Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and so it, there's no bombardment with that. It's like pop-up video, except your friends are the ones who are popping up. Their algorithm is actually really, really good because there's a couple people who um, I have never met before, but like, I appreciate their commentary. <laughs> and now I follow them and I can like thumbs up their comments. And it makes sense. I'm like, I don't know you, but I really enjoy your humor. It's like when you're at a movie and in your head, you're like, yo, you shouldn't have gone through that door. I told you not to go through that door. Like you're commenting like that. It's like live commentary with friends about, well, that was a stupid decision. Let me tell you why that was dumb. And these, uh, well, I got, I got like what, 58 characters, 120 characters. Let me tell you why that was a stupid decision in 120 characters. It is really like watching a movie or show with a living room full of people, except like you can just legit be in your underwear eating ice cream. Because they're not actually there, but all of their comments are there. That's how I watch shows with people when they're here or not. That's not, that's not what people do. I liked wiretapping Spider-Verse just because Omar and Brittany were in the movie with me. And that was like, it was really just legit like watching it with like people I like. I like watching anime and doing wiretap because you're guaranteed more, a more ludicrous thing will happen there. But like when it's something like maybe serious or like slightly dramatic, it's a fun thing to wiretap. I mean, uh, never have I ever, but that's a great thing to wiretap because uh, look, man, I don't know any minorities and call their mom uh, the B word and uh, still be alive the next scene. I don't know nope. about that. I don't know, I don't nope. know where they do that. I don't know what fiction that exists in because 
Not not in this time that I know, and I had to comment about that. There was a lot of things to comment on in that show. It's also validating, right? Because you'll be watching it in your house and just like looking around for like the other person, like, yo, you you hear her say that? And then I type it, yes, I did hear her say that. And this is why and, and the fact that she's still breathing, that there wasn't a transition scene that was just black and her waking up in her room or still outside at nighttime is appalling to me. Nicole, how easy was it to download for you? I went to the, I guess, the Google store and downloaded the Chrome. (laughs) (laughs) I love when Nicole's talking about something. Even though she knows what she's talking about, she'll have, like, that upward inflection about it. I'm not, uh, I think, I know I It was a long time ago. (laughs) It's memento, Nicole. (laughs) I I don't, listen, man, just get this goddamn program, man. What the, what are we doing here? easy to get the wiretap app uh, all i have to do is go to like wiretap.co or go onto your google chrome and just download the extension from there i'm pretty sure that's right download it from there <laughs> it was easy that's all i remember i feel like that's the important thing it was easy it took me like less than a minute to download wiretap <laughs> there should be an upward inflection emoji why is there not an upward inflection emoji find out more about wiretap on their website at www.wiretap.co or download the Chrome extension from the Chrome Web Store. And we're back. And we're back with, I, we've been avoiding it so much, and yet I feel like the last three or four episodes, we have consistently had something that is on Apple TV, and I have brought you yet another one. So this week I have Little Voice, and I've got to be honest, when I first heard about this, um, I just saw who kind of the headliners were for this. And I saw that it was being brought to us by the team of Sarah Borales, Jesse Nelson, and J.J. Abrams. And I was like, that's weird. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that combination. But then I watched the trailer, and I actually think that this is going to be an amazing, amazing show. I hope it's going to be an amazing show. So, uh, this series, Little Voice, follows Bess, who is a young black girl in New York City, and, I mean, I had, like, a Fuji's moment, like, she was, like, strumming my pain with her fingers, I was like, yes, girl, I get it, I feel that life hard, she is being raised by a single parent, by a single dad, she has no safety net, every, she has four, five jobs, and never any money, right, there's nothing to fall back on, and because of that, she feels like she can't really pursue her dream, Uh, Number one, because her dream is singing, and singing is hard. Like, singing in front of people is hard. But also because it takes so much... There's that point, right, where you're like, I need capital to start a thing, and and I can't do that until I, I have it. Like, I need to make sure that I'm holding it down at home. I need to make sure that I pay rent. I need to make sure that my family's medical bills are paid. I need to make sure all of these things. And that means that I can't take a chance on something that is 
creative based, right? We see that a lot with singers and writers and artists where they feel like they can't make that transition because it's just not a stable enough income. And so she's kind of at that crossroads and it follows her on her journey. The other thing that I found really interesting about this is that she has kind of an imposter syndrome going on, which I think that a lot of people have, but specifically people of color. One of the things that she really seems to worry about is that is how her success will affect her dad, who was also an aspiring singer and kind of didn't get to pursue his dream as much as he wanted because he ended up being a single dad, right? And and so she has this constant worry of like, am I going to upstage him and, and what's that going to do? And I think that a lot of us have that very specific type of imposter syndrome and worry about like, what does me doing well mean about, does that mean that I'm leaving people behind? So I'm actually really excited about this. And again, I know Apple TV, but if you've already made the dive, just do it. So many things, lots of singing. It's great. And it's going to come out on July 10th. You almost had me over here in tears. with this passionate description <laughs> of what this is going to be. Um, is it a movie or a TV show? Um, I, now, now I don't, it's early on Saturday morning, Keith. I'm sorry, it is. <laughs> I believe it's a TV show. There are just so many strings here, heartstrings that are being pulled with this. Just what you told me, like a couple storylines that are always going to work for people are going to be the 20 something figuring out my life for myself. That story is always going to work. The dream of going from rags to riches is always going to work for people. The starving artist is always going to work for people. You have all those here in this one story, but then you add on top of that these familiar storylines of her, like, single dad stories always work because you don't see them that often in Hollywood stories and everything. But, like, when you see them, it's like, ah, everything here is perfect and innocent. Like, I don't really want this being altered at all, right? And I just watching the trailer, I looked at it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is perfect. I was watching the trailer where you were talking about it and stuff. And that's why I started getting a little choked up, actually. It's cancer season. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I love this. Even if no one else watches this, I'm going to watch. Oh, dang it. You know, I think I was the last hold on this show. <laughs> up to this point, I haven't had Apple TV. But just now saying that sentence, I realize that I'm actually going to do it. Right? Oh, yeah. this is happening. Yeah. Uh, sorry, people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but yeah, so I guess I'm getting Apple TV for my birthday. Good to know. <laughs> and with that, I guess we'll go ahead into our big ticket segment for the week. So given recent events and social unrest that's been going on throughout the country and the overall world, Hollywood is paying a lot more attention to racism than it ever has before. Welcome aboard. We've seen open discourse about practically every part of the industry about how race has played a factor up to this point and possibly how it could going forward. But with no real idea of what actionable items to do and how to show they're against racism, studios and executives are making some admittedly surprising decisions that one could say have been years in the making, finally. Namely, more and more shows have seen white cast members stepping down from roles where they depict characters of color. Prime examples so far would include Missy on Big Mouth, Molly on an Apple TV Plus series called Central Park, and Brace Yourselves Here, every character of color on both Family Guy and The Simpsons. Now, in full disclosure, 
Hank Azaria stopped voicing Apu months ago after comedian Hari Kondabolu made an entire documentary about how problematic that choice always was called The Problem with Apu. But again, shouldn't the decision to do that with one character have kind of been a signal to do it with all of them anyway? But still, better late than never, I guess. It looks like Hollywood's finally making a change here. And also another example too is, I know that on, I never watched it, but apparently 30 Rock had an episode that involved blackface, and they've gone back retroactively to release that from the catalog and everything. So there are shifts happening in Hollywood. But my question with this for you, Victoria, and anyone else listening is, is this the right move? And also, is it more performative than it is effective? society in general but Hollywood culture in specific in that how many decades have we been talking about this have we been calling for this have we been you know forming groups and unions for specifically voice actors of color like this is this is something that's been on my timeline since Twitter existed right uh, I mean I I have heard about this forever. This has always been a thing. And it upsets me a little bit that these white actors and actresses are being lauded for their decision to step down. When really, if you're going to laud someone, it should be for their decision to not take the part. Like, if you came and told me that someone was approached to do something and was like, no, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to stay on you until you show me that you put the right person in here, a person of color who is portraying a person of color. Like, I would give you props for that. But, like, I don't... I feel like it should be more, like, you made a mistake than look at how progressive you're being. And that, I think, is an overall view of the situation that is slightly problematic and that they're not really diving into because it's uncomfortable. So why would you do that? I do think that it hopefully will open up more opportunities for voice actors of color and for actors of color in general. Um, So I think that that might be a good thing. I hope that it is not short-lived. That's that's kind of my worry, is that we'll have this, like, bubble, and then I'll be like, okay, well, we've given them enough, so let's go back to business as usual. I mean, for me, I'll have to wait to see if this ends up being more performative or effective based on, like you just said, if this actually sticks. Because when people talk about, when people of color talk about how we don't have opportunities or as many opportunities as other people do, this is a prime example of that to me. Why are there, I wasn't even aware there were so many white actors playing voice, I'm voicing characters of color myself. I knew there were plenty of them, but not so many where there are whole articles about them all at once deciding they're not going to do this anymore. And yes, you want to like, say good job for turning, like for no longer doing this role, but think about this. You probably shouldn't have taken it in the first place. Um, this takes me back to, I think it was 2017 or so, when they were making that Hellboy movie and actor Ed Screen turned down the role where he was supposed to play a character who was supposed to be Japanese American. And I loved that decision because he was like, look, you can do the typical Hollywood thing of whitewashing this role and just forcing me in there or something like that. 
but that doesn't have to be the case. Like, I'm not taking this role. Find somebody else instead. Now, I haven't seen that movie, and I don't know how it played out with that role and everything, and I don't plan to anytime soon. But that's a gesture that I actually would applaud or at least celebrate and appreciate in the moment. Not you going back and asking the, and taking the asking for forgiveness rather than permission approach. Like, that's not something I'm really a fan of. I'm just disappointed that it took all this for this to happen because, sure, while a majority of us may have just realized this was an issue a few years ago when it blew up on social media... People of color have been complaining about characters like Apu since they came to existence, especially people of Southeast Asian descent. Like, that was always an issue to them, which is part of what Hari Kondabolu was talking about in that documentary. Is like, I got teased and called Apu when I was a kid. Like, this isn't just something that I all of a sudden looked up and realized, like, hey, that's a white guy doing this. And another problem with a lot of the times when there are white actors voicing or portraying characters of color is, in order to do so, you're either not adding anything to the character at all, or you're doing a caricature. And that's essentially why people draw these parallels between white actors voicing black characters and blackface. Right, and it, it it is problematic for voice actors of color then because you get that, well, you don't sound black. And it's like, well, no, what you think black sounds like is not a black person. We just sound like every other person. Like, we're just people. So then it creates this kind of circular process of of racism and discrimination, right? You have someone who sets a stereotype and then anyone who's actually from that background has to live up to that stereotype in order to be cast because that's now the standard. And it's not real life. It's just not real life. I think for me, She's not a she's not a voice actor, but I think this will be for me the kind of telltale sign of whether Hollywood has actually learned its lesson. I'm not gonna hold my breath, but if we get a legitimate apology and change, visible change from Scarlett Johansson, oh wow, we done made it. Yeah, it, we done it's, made it. It's wild that she's like the movie our white whale in this scenario. That like we're hoping for her to come around and acknowledge. But yeah, you know, maybe I can't play a tree. <laughs> That's what we're waiting for at this point in time. And with that said, it's time to move on to our lightning round. We talked about quite a lot this episode, covered a lot of ground here, but this has been a very, very busy week in all of nerd news. So, as you know, our lightning rounds, we like to cover three to five headlines that happened throughout the week that we couldn't devote an entire segment to. So for this week, we have American Horror Stories, as in plural, will be debuting on Hulu instead of FX, along with Why the Last Man, which I still don't believe even exists at this point. I need to see footage first. Um, the release of Tenet and Mulan have both been delayed again because of how COVID-19 is affecting the box office. Um, Universal has greenlit a live-action adaptation of The Magic School Bus, with Elis- which Elizabeth Banks will both produce and star in as Miss Frizzle. Margot Robbie is set to star in a female-led Pirates of the Caribbean spinoff movie on top of the other sequels they're also making, because that actually makes a lot of sense right now. I could very well see her just on the, sup- on the front of a pirate ship just doing crazy stuff. It's great. And lastly, in honor of our dear friend Mikael, who's off this week, the Karate Kid sequel series Cobra Kai will be moving over from YouTube to Netflix for his third season. So I'm sure he'll talk about that a lot the next time he's on this show. But if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at BlackNerdProms with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. I'm your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. And I'm your host, Victoria Bertine. All right, have a good week, folks. <laughs>